Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2, and if you don't have one but kind of want to follow along with us, we'll be on page 976 in the Bibles that are under the chairs there. You could grab one of those. It'll be 976, and if you don't have your own Bible too, you're welcome to take one of those. We have a bunch. We have extras, so uh, if you do have a Bible, don't take one of them, but if you don't have one, it's yours. We're in Ephesians, and as we've been going through Ephesians, we've been looking at this theme of new identity, Uh, the idea that Instead of taking our identity from our immediate circumstance, whatever sickness or sin or frustration is kind of closing in on you right now, that we're to look to God's word uh, and to look up and see the identity he gives us as his adopted children. And so this week we're calling it uh, a new identity, grace at work. And so if you can flip forward for me there, B, it's grace at work. My clicker's broken. So Um, grace is this word that means uh, God's gift to us, his kindness to us, that we can't be saved because of what we've done, but that we're saved because of what God has done. And, and so when that grace comes into our life, it does things. It, it changes us. It wakens us, as we saw last week. Last week, we saw that our position is, is dead, uh, that, that we're broken, that we're not just struggling, but we are completely dead in our Either our rebellion or our religion, we're just, we're just dead. And we need a God who will come in and, and wake us to life, resurrect us. And so we're going to continue that thought this week as we look at the identity that God gives us as his people. Because of his kindness to us, he awakens us by his grace. If you'll read with me, we'll read verses 8 through 10, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would teach us by your grace what this is all about. We trust you. We see that you've revealed yourself to us. Uh, as one who is kind, one who is sacrificial, one who gave himself for us through Jesus. And so we come in hope that you will teach us, that you will grow us, and uh, pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had the great uh, joy of getting to play paintball with my son recently, which was a lot of fun. Um, I got banged up a little bit, a little sore from that, but it was a lot of fun anyway. And uh, through the different games, you know, you were trying different strategies out. You know, we would play like capture the flag or just shoot everybody or, you know, we'd just kind of change the rules and play different styles, different times. Um, but as it, as it went on, I decided, you know what, I really need to be more aggressive. I've got too many paintballs left in my gun. I need to be more aggressive and get out there. So this one game about halfway through our day, I decided I'm just going to really get, go forward and I'm just going to take the cover on the side here. There was this right side where it was a lot of brush by a creek line. And I figured, you know, we were playing mostly against teenagers and kids, uh, and there were some girls, so they probably don't want to jump in the thorns, right? I'll jump in the thorns, I'll be tough and move through the thorns and have some good cover, right? So I was thinking, I was, I was pretty impressed with myself, but then the headway that I was making, and I'm working my way through the thorn patches on the side here, and I'm moving forward, and they're kind of out in the open by these bushes, and I'm shooting at them, and they can't see me. They shoot back over towards where I am, but they can't really see me, and I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I'm thinking, I'm really clever. I'm invisible. I'm unstoppable, right? And so I just keep making headway. I keep moving forward. It looks like they kind of forgot about me. And so I'm 
I'm moving forward a little farther thinking I'm going to make it all the way to their side, you know? And they're not even going to know I was there. Totally invisible. And then all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, paint just starts whizzing by my ears. You know, I'm mean, like zing, zing, and stuff is splattering all around me, breaking on branches all over my head. And I, don't, I can't figure out where it's coming from. All of a sudden, I am, I am pinned down. And it reminded me of what we looked at a few weeks ago in, in John, where Jesus says the work of the Spirit is like the wind. You can't see it. You see the effects of it, right? We talked about wind chimes and how, you know, you see stuff blow. And, and Jesus was saying that that's how God's Spirit moves in our life. And we talked about how that can be scary to us, right? Because we prefer to be in control, right? To, to think of the paintball analogy, I'd, I'd rather be dominating the day. I'd rather be winning. I want to be the God of the field, and I want to be the one in charge. And all of a sudden, it's, it's terrifying when I realize, man, I don't, I'm not as smart as I thought I was, right? All of a sudden, I'm pinned down, and I thought nobody could see me, but now someone's shooting at me. I can't see them, and I don't know what's happening. And our spiritual life can be like that. Our spiritual life can be a crisis, right? We, we're thinking, what, God, what are you doing? What is going on here? And, and C.S. Lewis actually talked about his own conversion as this kind of reluctant surrender. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, said it this way. He said, you must picture me alone in that room at the college. He was a professor. You must pic- picture me alone in that room at the college, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him I so earnestly desired not to meet. There was this enemy he felt like bearing down on him, and he was trying to resist. And, and he says, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God. And I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And so I, I kind of have a, a feeling of what this was like for Lewis as he felt like God was pursuing him, hounding him. We sometimes say the hound of heaven pursuing us. And it, it doesn't feel good until we give in. Until we surrender, and then we know we're safe, and we recognize through the gospel that he's the God who gave himself for us, who sacrificed for us, who showed us love, even in our rebellion, even in our sin, he loved us. He loved us first. So just as I was pinned down and angry and frustrated because I couldn't see, because paint was splattering all over my mask now, I didn't know where this guy was coming from, then it was starting to sting, all of a sudden, poof, he appears magically next to me. And, and I, I have to surrender, right? It's called a safety kill in paintball because he's within five, five feet of me. And suddenly I, I see his kindness to me, right? His, his mercy now. He didn't, he didn't completely take me out. He was like, all right, you can, you can surrender. Poof, there he is. I was like, where did he come from? How did he do that, right? But the gospel is that moment when, when we finally see him, when he appears out of nowhere and he's not who we thought he was. The gospel is that moment when you see that God is good, when you recognize that he's actually given himself for you, that he's showing you mercy before you felt pinned down, but now you all of a sudden feel lifted up. You recognize in Ephesians 1 and 2, like we've seen already, that he's adopting, he's saving, he's redeeming us from our bondage, he's freeing us from our sin. And that's the beauty of what we see in the good news of what Jesus has done. But he's really come to rescue us. What, what may have seemed like we were under attack now we recognize I surrender and he's good and he loves me. And so I want you to see that as we unpack this idea of grace at work here in the first few points. The first thing that we'll see in verse 8 
is that grace is in, at work to save us through faith. Grace is at work to save us through faith. Read verse 8 with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. We are saved by grace through faith. That's the first thing that we see. We're saved through faith. The first thing I want us to talk about is what does that mean uh, to be saved? Uh, saved is a big word in the Bible, and it's used in the first century to use a lot of diff- uh, to mean a lot of different things. Saved can be uh, used in a religious sense, which is how we normally use it in church circles, right? We usually think of it as eternal life, right? I get to be with God in heaven. Um, there's no more uh, conflict between me and God, but now we're we're family. Now I get to be with Him, and my sins are forgiven. And that's how we usually use it. And then, of course. That's true, but there's also these other contexts that I think are helpful to understand from the first century. Uh, the other context would be just kind of general well-being, right? Like you could be saved financially. You were in debt, but you were saved out of that bondage to debt that you were in. Uh, you could be saved. Your business could be saved. So there's a lot of different ways in the first century that would have been used to talk about just general things are better now. And then also health. It would have been used in, the, in terms of health. Like if you were sick, you would be saved uh, when you were healed. When you saw a good doctor, when you got medicine, or when you just got better, you would have used the word saved to describe that. So I wanted to show you a picture here of a broken arm being set. Uh, There's a cast. Any of you ever had a broken arm before and had to have a cast? Some of you all have have gone through that before. I I had to have that. It wasn't the full cast. I had just a splint, just a little crack here in in my arm uh, playing playing flag football. I never broke it playing tackle football, but I broke it playing flag football. And, uh, And so we put the splint on. And that was to let the bone grow back together straight, right? You immobilize it with the cast so it's not going to bend there where it's, where it's broken. It's going to stay, stay straight and it's going to get set in the right way so it can grow back together. And then it can work again, right? And so we're, we're saved as we trust in Christ. He restores our heart and he does this so that we will work properly. We're now healed so that we can, uh, we can do the right things. And I think that's important. We're not just saved for the future, that we can go live with God in heaven. That's true. But we're also saved now. I think as Christians, we have to to understand that, both sides of it. There's this future that he's accomplished for us, this redemption, forgiveness with God in heaven. But there's also the now he's he's restoring us. You can go back to the next slide again. He's, He's saving us so that we can work properly. right? If you think back to Genesis 1 and 2, we were called to glorify God with our lives, to multiply, to take paradise and extend it out into the world, to spread it into the wilderness, uh, to be fruitful, to fill and form the world. We're, we were to uh, reflect God in the world, to show his creativity, to show his goodness. And so we're called as people to make culture, to build things, to have children, to build cities, to plant gardens, to extend this paradise. We're, we're to do all these things that humans do in a way that honors God. And so we're saved, we're restored so that we can do that, to, to do our original purpose. Think of it this way, if, if your arm was broken and then it's reset and now it's working, it, it's not just so that you can sit on the couch and feel better, right? I mean, we're kind of a leisure culture, so I think we often think of sickness and healing in those terms. We think of it more in pain and discomfort terms. That was weird. <laughs> it has something to do with that extension cord he ran in here, I'm sure. All right, the speakers just went out up front. They actually died. So I'll just shout. I have, I have a shouting, old-fashioned preacher voice I can use. 
So uh, he restores us so that we can do things, right? He doesn't just restore us so we can sit on the couch. He restores us so that we can function, right? Think about sports. If any of you have ever played sports, you're restored, you're rehabilitated so you can get back out on the field. Not so you can watch the sport, but so you can play the sport. And I want you to understand that that's part of what salvation is. Salvation is future. Because of what Christ has done for us, we're forgiven and God sees us as his child. He adopts us. We have a future in heaven that's secure. But it's also transformative here and now. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we start to function properly. Right? Again, think of the broken arm. If you've had a broken arm, when you take the cast off, it looks that lights are moving around here. When you have that cast taken off, okay, it's back on. All right. Saved. It works. See? Good illustration, all right? My microphone is saved. It's, when you have the cast taken off, what does it look like? You, you remember what it, what it would look like when a cast is taken off? It looks pretty nasty, right? When your hair's weird colors and your skin's all clammy, and what about your muscles? Like, there's not much left, you know, they're atrophied, they're kind of like weak, but the bone on the inside is set. And doctors say it's even stronger, right? Where it's knit, where the bone is knit together there, where the crack was, it's even stronger than it was before. So on the inside, it's stronger than it was before. On the outside, it looks pretty crummy. And I want you to take that analogy to salvation. Salvation occurs, it changes us so that we work, so that we function properly. We're going to see more of that in the next couple of verses. Uh, But that doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't do things wrong anymore or you never fail. It means you're fixed on the inside. It means your heart is now in a position of trust. And so I want us to think about that word as well. We're saved through faith, and another translation of that word faith is trust, right? It means, I trust you. I believe that you are good. I believe what you say about me, that you've forgiven my sin, that you've set me free. I believe that you're good, so I'm going to now obey your law. I'm going to start living with a new kind of morality because I think you're good. Before, I didn't trust you. Before, I thought it was better that I would be God. Before, I thought it was better that I ruled the world. And so I didn't obey your law. I didn't do what you told me to do, God. But now I trust you and I know that you're good and you've proven that to me in the gospel. And so now I'm going I'm to start doing what's right. Now, that doesn't mean you do what's right every time, right? You're not doing right 100% of the time, but you begin to do right based on the promise of the gospel, based on the reality that God is good. And so you have this new posture of trust. You're sitting before God saying, before, I didn't trust you. I didn't trust your law. But now all of a sudden, I'm starting to think, I need to align myself and live the way that you tell me to live instead of doing my own thing. Or maybe you're a religious person. And now you have a posture of trust where you go, I used to think that I could save myself by being so good, but now I recognize that I can't save myself. It's all you. It's all your grace. It's all what you've done. And as you have that new posture of faith instead of that posture of, self-works and self-righteousness, you can now be restored to begin to do what God has asked us to do. So whether you're rebellious and you've said, forget God's law, or you're religious and you said, forget God's power, either one, we need the restoring of his salvation that we experience through faith. We experience that through humble trust in him. He's good. He loves me. That's what salvation looks like. If you don't trust him, if you don't see him as good, if you don't see him as loving as he's revealed himself through the gospel, then you don't know him. Then he's still that invisible shooter in the bushes. But as you begin to recognize that he's good, then then you see him for who he really is. 
that's faith. That's the moment that Paul is talking about in this text here. When you have that posture with God, when you trust Him, when you believe in His goodness, that's what it means to know God. That's what it means to have salvation. You have a future that's secure, justification. He sees you as just. Another way you could translate that is righteousnessification, right? Because in the, in the New Testament, the word just and the word righteous, are one, they're one Greek word, and we kind of switch back and forth with English, right? So we say justification and righteousness. It's the same word. And so when God says, I've justified you by your faith in me, he's saying, I've made you righteous. I see you as righteous. I see you through Jesus. I see you as delightful and as acceptable in my sight as Jesus Christ is because we are hidden in him. We're covered by his grace. Our sin was put on him and punished on the cross and his righteousness was given to us, imputed to us so that he sees us as his delightful child. And once we trust that, then we begin to change. Then we begin to live out of that posture of trust and we're saved in this life too, as well as the next life. We're saved, we're restored, the, the broken bone is set as we start to function the way that we should. Well, the next thing I want us to look at is that uh, grace at work is God's doing. It's not our doing, it's God's doing. And man, Ephesians has hit this really hard, right? Ephesians 1 has hit this uh, really hard. We've had uh, words like predestination. We've had phrases like he's working all things out according to his will and his good pleasure. Uh, we have the idea that we saw just last week if we were just completely dead and he makes us alive. We're not kind of struggling on the surface and and saying, help me, help me, and he helps us. No, we're, we're dead, we're rotten, and he restores us. And so Ephesians has just hit this really hard, that it's not our doing, but it's God's doing, in such a way that, again, we've, we've had to recheck ourselves and say, okay, wait, God's really absolutely in control? And we've talked about how that's scary unless I know that he's good. And so we've had to come back to the gospel and say, you know what? He's good. He's gracious. It's for his kindness. It's for the praise of his glory. It's so that I can honor his goodness. Same thing here. It's all his doing. It's his doing so that we can praise him. It's not so that I can boast. Let's read the phrase here. Uh, Second half of eight and then verse nine, it says, second half of eight, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So this is defining grace for us, right? Grace can be a generalized term that just means kindness. It could be a greeting in in, uh, the New Testament times. Right? It could just kind of mean a general term of charm or kindness or goodness. But here, theologically, we're defining God's grace is this saving grace. It's something He's done that's a gift from Him. It is His gift. For, gra- for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not the works that we've done. Because if it was the works that we had done then we could boast about it. And this is where he hammers the religious. Those of us that are religious, even if we started off believing that we were saved by God's grace, we, we quickly are tempted to start thinking, hey, look at me. Man, I'm not struggling with those old sins I used to struggle with. I'm pretty good. I bet God's pretty impressed with me today, right? And we can fall into that thinking that it has something to do with our doing. Uh, there's a picture I have here of someone playing guitar uh, the last week, Chris, is, uh, Chris Webster, our worship leader, has been participating in this community thing where he and some other musicians are writing a song every day for like seven days in a row and then sharing it with each other. And uh, I'm kind of a wannabe musician. Like I love music, but never just never really followed any instrument long enough to really do much with it. Uh, and so I love to live vicariously through Chris as a musician. And so I actually got to help him with one of the songs he was writing the other day. 
I actually got to help him. And at the end of it, I was like, so, so will I get credit for this? Like, will it say Dave McMurray wrote this and Chris Webster wrote this? And he was like, well, you, you only gave me one word, right? So, so he wasn't so sure if I deserved credit for that, right? And so we're, you know, we're still negotiating. I might get an asterisk at the bottom, you know, I might say Chris at the top and then Dave McMurray consulting on songwriting or something like that. We're still trying to work out the details, uh, but you can go, go on to the next picture or the next slide. Um, but the point of this passage is that it's God's doing, and it's not, it's not our doing. I mean, if you would think about the songwriting thing, it's not just that we only contributed a word to our salvation. We didn't even contribute that much. Again, the picture we just saw in verses 1 through 7 is we were dead. That's what we contributed. We contributed our deadness, right? Uh, it'd be like, for the songwriting analogy, it'd be like we wrote the completely wrong song, and uh, he had to burn it and write a new song, okay? I mean, that's, that's basically what we have provided uh, to this picture. But the amazing thing is, if you're a creative type, if you think, man, why did God make me the way he made me? It's still in that process, he, he uses our unique gifts. Still, he's going to do incredible, unique things with you, the way he's wired you. He made you that way for a reason. And even though you trashed what he did for you, and even though you, you made the worst of it, even though we were dead, he's redeeming that. And he's going to use those gifts and those quirks and those weird habits, he's going he's to redeem those. He's going to renew those. He's going to restore those so that he can use us. But again, it's his doing. It's what God is doing. It's a gift that he gives us. It's something that he's doing for his glory. It's not about us boasting, but it's about what he's doing. Uh, as we think about an application for this, I think about how often we get the chance to share our story with other people. And I want to encourage you that as you get your opportunity to share your story of what God's doing in your life, that you make sure the story is what God's doing in your life. It's not what you have done. And the other thing I want to challenge you with is that some of you have never shared your story of what God's doing in your life. So you need to start, right? You need to start and you need to recognize you might be like the blind man who was healed by Jesus and you're like, I don't, I don't really know who he is, but I was blind and now I can see. You don't have to be expert storyteller to be able to share God's story of what he's done in your life. You can be a beginner. It's, it's okay. He's, he's going to work with you. We have a resource in the hallway. We have this brochure that says the story, and it kind of shares uh, the one big story of the Bible, the salvation that God's working in our life and how that's really the main story of the Bible, basically the story we've been hitting hard in Ephesians of how God is taking a broken people and he's redeeming them for himself. That, that's the story, and, and we're caught up in that story. Our story is a part of his story. He's saving us. He's redeeming us. He's making us new. He's making us into something new for his glory. So again, it's not for our boasting, but it's, it's for his. So when we tell our story, it should be boasting on him, right? It's not by our works so that no one can boast. It's by his works so that we can boast on him and what he's accomplished and what he's done for us. Uh, the, the final slide I want us to look at says that grace at works means that we do stuff, right? And so we don't want to forget that. You know, you go, you go all the way on this extreme that talks about God's work and what he's done and that we were dead and he planned this ahead of time and he was the one that gets all the credit for us. You can sometimes forget that, that we still do stuff, right? As I talked about with the broken arm, he, he set the arm so that we can use it. He's restored us, he's saved us so that we can do things and Paul emphasizes that as well. It's hit really hard uh, in James chapter 2, just to quote James 2. A lot of you have probably heard this before. In James 2.14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
can such a faith save him? And James' answer is no. That kind of faith can't save you. So when Paul says that we're saved by faith and not works, Paul means a real faith. We don't save ourselves by working. And then James comes along and says, but don't say you have faith if there are no works. If you have faith, works will come out of that. It will produce something. The the terminology that Jesus would always use in the Gospels was the whole idea of, of a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, right? That's picked up in Galatians as well. What, what kind of tree are you? Is there fruit in your life? Again, not perfection, right? God saves you. He takes the cast off. You, you probably look pretty bad, right? You're not perfect. You don't do everything right, but there should be change happening. We, we do stuff. Things happen in our life. We don't just get to say, hey, I prayed a prayer and now everything's cool. No, that, that's not real trust. That's not a posture of trust in the God of the universe who gave himself for you in Jesus. If you have a real posture of trust, you'll begin to change. Not perfectly. You won't do the right thing every time, but you'll change. We we will do stuff. Read uh, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. This Greek word is poema. A lot of you have probably heard that before. We, We get the word poem from that, right? And uh, poema in the Greek would not have meant specifically just rhyming verses, right? It wouldn't have just meant poem and how we use it today. But it would have had that broader sense of like an artistic craft. Craftsmanship here translated. Workmanship, it, it would be a creative project. And so what Paul's saying here is the saving that God does produces a, a, a piece of art, right? There, there's something that people will be able to see in our life. Uh, if you can go to the next slide, B, I have a picture here of some modern art. I don't know if you can see that very well in the back. Um, my mom was a, uh, an art teacher, so I had to, had to learn about a lot of this crazy stuff growing up. But since the 60s, there's been all kinds of experimental art, right? And here's one that you could find in a museum. And I don't know if you can see that well, but it's, it's a blank canvas. That there's nothing there, right? And, and so... You know, I may, I maybe I'm just a stick in the mud. Maybe I'm a traditionalist, but I don't think that's art. I think that's a blank canvas, right? And that's the idea I'm trying to get across here is that God wants you to be a work of art. You can't just be a blank canvas and say, God's at work in my life. No, there needs to be something happening, right? There needs to be some paint splatter on the page. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? But something needs to be happening. It can be messy. But something should be there. We, we do stuff. We don't just sit there. We're not passive. We, we do stuff. And that's a sign of the Spirit at work in our life. Just as Jesus talked about in, in John 3, the, the Spirit blows where it will and you see the effects. You see the effects of the Spirit moving in our life. There's three applications that, that we can uh, take, I think, out of Matthew. Matthew gives us three applications of what are the kinds of things we do, okay? We do stuff. God's at work. We're his craftsmanship, we're his work of art. What are the kinds of things that his people do? So at the end of Matthew, chapter 24 and chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the end of the world and him leaving and then him returning and the disciples are kind of freaked out about this, right? They still don't fully understand what's going to happen. And so Jesus paints a picture of what their lives should look like as a work of art. And there's a parable at the end of 24 and then another parable at the beginning of 25 and another parable after that. And he gives us three parables that say, this is what people will do, okay? If you're going to do stuff, if you're my people, if you have a posture of trust in me, it's going to look like this. 
three things. What will it look like? The first thing that he says it looks like in the first parable is he tells the parable of, of the servant. And he says the servant should serve the other servants. He uses specifically the idea of feeding them. And he says if the servant's not feeding them or taking advantage of them, that's not a good servant. But the servant who knows God, who trusts God, he's going to serve and feed the others. That's what he says at the end of 24. Then the beginning of 25, he tells the parable of the ten virgins, which is kind of a weird one for us because it's culturally so distant because it's about how they do weddings in their time, which is very different than ours. But I would summarize it as saying, basically, in the parable of the ten virgins, he says, people who trust me are going to celebrate me and anticipate my coming. So, so the first thing he says is what it looks like, what we do, is we serve each other. We help those who are in need. We feed, we serve. The second thing he says is we celebrate Jesus and what he's done. Again, we, we boast in him instead of boasting in ourselves. And then the last thing that he says we do is we would risk. That we would make investments. It's the famous parable of the talents there in chapter 25, which is one of the most convicting ones to me, one that God has been using to change me in my own life because I'm kind of risk-averse. But in the parable of talents, he says that if you trust God, you'll take risks. He says, if you trust God, you're going to do something. You're going to spend your life. Even though it's messy, even though you may mess up, you're going to take risks because you know that the master is good and he's given you these talents to use for his glory. And so in the parable of talents, we see some that spend their talents because they trust the master. And we see one who buries his talent because he doesn't trust the master. So again, what, what I would say is if you're burying your talent, it's a sign that you don't trust the master. And I say that as someone who that, that's convicting of me as well. God is slowly changing me. For those of you that know me well, you know I'm not Mr. Wild risk taker, but God is slowly teaching me to take risks, slowly teaching me to trust him more and to spend the talents that he's given me and to try new things. And so these are three things that we should be doing. Those who are saved by grace, not our doing, but God's doing, will do stuff as his artwork. And the kinds of stuff we'll do is we'll serve others, we'll celebrate him, and we'll take risks. We'll invest the talents he's given us. Let me pray for us and and we'll send you out to the party. God, we thank you that you love us. Uh, And I pray for those here that have a sensitive conscience that recognize that maybe they're not doing anything. I pray, Lord, that you would spur them on that they would not feel condemnation because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I pray that they would feel set free, that they would be amazed at your goodness and your grace, and that would set us free to serve you. Help us to trust you and to spend our talents for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.